Welcome to LocalJobNetwork.com radio. Your attention is directed to Minding Your P's and Q's, where we examine the sensitive and occasionally treacherous subject of business etiquette. I'm your host, Tim Muma. Today we look at etiquette in terms of motivating employees, specifically an examination of the use of competition. In general, Americans do see competition as a positive aspect of the culture, but how can this help or even hurt in the workplace? To look into this subject further, we have Susan Weinschenk, Ph.D., joining us. Susan is a behavioral psychologist with over 30 years' experience that she's used to help some major clients, such as Walt Disney and the Mayo Clinic. She's also an author of a handful of books, and she's also working on another one right now, How to Get People to Do Stuff, which, of course, relates to motivation as well. Susan, thanks once again for coming on today. Thanks for having me, Tim. In terms of uh, what you do in your experience, your expertise, that sort of thing, uh, you know, why don't you give people an idea of, of what that is and, and what you bring to the table? Well, I have a PhD in psychology and uh, I've studied how people behave and specifically what do we know about people that can help us decide how best to interact with them and how to motivate them. And that definitely falls into this category here, especially at the workplace. In terms of your research and maybe discussions you've had with companies or other things you've seen and heard, I mean, how often is competition actually used as a tool when we're talking about motivation at work? Oh, I think competition is used a lot. I think part of that perhaps is our culture here in the United States. Mm -hmm. Children grow up uh, playing sports and watching sports and competing with each other. And competition, you know, can be a very healthy thing. But the research shows that it doesn't work as universally as we think. And that's a little bit what we want to get into uh, later specifically. Now, have you seen any numbers or or feedback in terms of, uh, I guess, the overall feeling of the impact of of competition in the workplace? I think most, I I, I don't know of any particular research on this. I think most companies and most people in companies would believe that uh, a healthy dose of competition is good. I think everyone understands that competition can get too extreme. Mm -hmm. And I don't think people will usually go that far. But I think people in general believe that having competition in the work environment will be a positive thing and will motivate people. I think that's the general belief. Sure. How about in terms of, I mean, it could be generally speaking, obviously, we, we relate things to the workplace. But what is it about competition that makes it a motivator or, or people see it as, as a tool for motivation? Um, even, you know, maybe some science that backs that up or, or if it's just an overall perception thing, what have you kind of come across? Well, there definitely is science that shows that competition can be motivating. And this probably goes way back to our evolutionary development. And we want to uh, survive. We want to... Uh, make sure we get the best resources. And so there's a certain amount of competition that's that's built into us. What about, you know, and this isn't necessarily something that falls right into line, but how about the fact that competition may not motivate everyone? And we again, we'll get into some specifics later. How, how does that work in terms of, yeah, there may be some science behind it, evolutionary kind of idea, but it doesn't always fit with everyone. Is there a general basic idea as to why that might not apply to some people? Actually, I believe that whether competition works or not, from what I've read in the research, is more related to the situation uh, in which it's being used. There are some situations in which competition is motivating and will move people forward, and there are other situations where it won't. So it's 
Uh, certainly, some individual personalities are more likely to be motivated by competition, but I think the situational variable is actually more important. Uh, well, that definitely makes sense. How about in general, the drawbacks or the negative impact, you, you talked about it just a little bit in saying, you know, we can see where it goes too far at times. Uh, but w- what are some things you would point to specifically that may be a, a negative impact or, or what it might cause? If things get too competitive, then you are uh, hurting the collaboration factor. So think of it like a continuum. You know, there's, you can either set up a situation where things are extremely competitive you can set up a situation where things are very collaborative or obviously any point in between. Hmm. But the more competitive it is, the less collaborative it is. And there's advantages to having people collaborate together as well. That can be often more motivating than competition. So you don't want so much competition that you're killing all the collaboration. Right. You know, when we talk about motivation and, you know, whether it be competition or other factors, people have to figure out what works for themselves. There are those individual sort of cases. But let's talk a little bit about specifics and um, in terms of the role of competition, possible effects. And one of the general perceptions out there, and maybe there's some fact to it, is that, you know, men overall enjoy that competition aspect, whether it be because of sports or, or what other, uh, other factors. What have you seen or experienced regarding the idea of a, of a gender difference in competition? Is it, is it large? Does it truly exist? What's, what's your take with that? You know, it's interesting, Tim, because in all the psychological factors that I research and study and and talk about in my books, there are very few gender differences. Really? Yeah. And and people are always surprised. They say, isn't this different for men and women? And the answer is, no, the research shows it isn't. But competition is one of the few areas where there absolutely is a gender (laughs) difference. So I don't know, you know, the research doesn't tell us whether this gender difference is, uh, you know, biological, you know, men are born more competitive than women, Mm -hmm. um, or whether it is environmental and learning because of, you know, they might be involved in more competitive sports. We actually don't know why. But the research is pretty clear that men and women react differently to competition. And I'm not going to say that... um, necessarily that that men are more competitive than women the what the research shows though is that when you put um, men together in a competitive situation it will motivate them there are some caveats to that i want to talk about having to do with the number of people but we know that if men are together and we introduce competition it will tend to motivate all the individuals if we put women together and we introduce competition it will motivate a little bit, but not. it's not as good a motivator as some other uh, means that we have, for instance, collaboration and teamwork. Mm-hmm. And the worst combination is to put men and women together and introduce competition. Now, when you do that, what happens, the research shows us, is that the men tend to get very, very competitive, <laughs> but the women actually uh, get less motivated. Hmm. Are there any theories behind that specifically or anything you've seen? No, su- it's relatively yeah. new research. Sure. So I don't think that, that we know yet why that is. There's some, there's some guesses about it, but we do know that that's true. So if, for instance, you're setting up a, you know, let's say you, you have salespeople at your office and, mm-hmm. and you want to set a competition to see who can get the most sales before the end of the year. 
that will probably be very motivating if most of the salespeople are guys and it'll be motivating to the guys who are doing it. But if you have, you know, half of your salespeople are men and half are women, it may not work, may not be as motivating for the women. And if, if you have a primarily all women or mostly women in your sales force, then that's probably not going to get you a lot more sales before the end of the year. Hmm. I'm going to put you on the spot just a little bit here. I like to do this every once in a while. Um, you talk about that idea of the, the sales people and, and you have a split probably of men and women. Is there a danger in, in separating the competition, so to speak, of separating, you know, okay, the men are competing in one area, the women are competing in another area? Because I know there are things like legalities and, and that sort of thing. Is that something you would look into, suggest? Uh, oh, no, too I, dangerous? I definitely would not suggest okay. that. I think that would get you, I think that would be confusing and get you into lots <laughs> of trouble. What I would say is that there are so many more powerful ways to motivate people mm-hmm. than competition. I mean, competition is is one way. It's actually not that great, and part of the reason is because of all these things we're talking about. Sure. That I would suggest, sure, if you want to introduce some competition, go ahead. That's a great idea. But also introduce another type of uh, motivator uh, in your plan. Right. So you might have, you know, the person who sells the most before the end of the year gets something uh, and right, and uh, we're going to create some teams, and the teams who sell the most, you know, get something. And that way, you've kind of got your bases covered. You can use competition, but you can also use something like collaboration, sure. which we know is very motivating for everybody, both men and women. And we're definitely going to touch a little bit on the other motivating factors um, because obviously. We're discussing this idea of competition because it's it's out there and people use it. But as you mentioned, there are probably a lot more effective ways in, in general. You did touch on this aspect in terms of competition, the idea that the amount of competitors, so to speak, that plays a factor in this in terms of motivating or, or affecting people. What's sort of the, the research, the, the idea behind how many competitors are involved in a competition and what effect that has? Yeah, this is some of, I think, the most interesting research on competition, and to me, some of the most surprising, is that when there are fewer than 10 people competing, then competition is a fairly good motivator, especially if if we're talking about a, a group of less than 10 men. Mm-hmm. But when there are more than 10 people competing, uh, the research shows that even with men, uh, competi- the, the motivating factor of competition starts to go down. And the more people there are competing, the less it motivates. Hmm. And I, I find that just very interesting. Uh, of course, you know, all this, Tim, is happening unconsciously. It's not a conscious thing. Sure. But that's that's kind of interesting because I think we often set up competitive situations in which there are more than 10 people. Right. And, and so, it, you know, it might... Be a little motivating, but certainly not as motivating as you think if you have more than 10 people competing. And this really is a, um, it has to do with perception. Mm-hmm. I mean, if, if I know there are more than 10 people, if I don't know there are more than 10 people, then it might not affect me. But as I know that there are more than 10 people and as that number gets higher and higher, the less likely it is to motivate me. I mean, does this really just go to the idea that everyone wants to win or be the best and that the more there are, you figure, well, I don't have a chance, so whatever. Is that, I mean, is that kind yeah. of how it works, basically? The basic yeah. science behind it. 
Yeah, I think it's probably, um, you know, again, the unconscious mind is constantly surveying everything about the environment. And at some point it looks around and says, oh, there's way, you know, my chance of getting to number one in this is getting pretty slim. Mm -hmm. uh, therefore, you know, I'm not going to pay that much attention to the competition. And again, it all happens unconsciously. You know, it makes common sense, sounds like common sense, and I guess it shouldn't have surprised me, but um, <laughs> I, I thought it was really interesting that there was research to tell us, you know, exactly what that number is. Right. What about if an employer is looking at using competition in some manner? It might be a small-scale thing. It could be even seen as something fun, but what, what sort of factors should an employer consider if they're going to use that as a tool, uh, you know, what, I mean, I know we're speaking in generalities. It's hard to know the specifics of, of an organization, but in general, what factors should they look to if they're going to use mo uh, competition as a motivation? Well, I think this goes back to the fact that, that the influence of competition is working mostly unconsciously. And that means you've got to keep it uh, pretty simple. Are the unconscious parts of our brain when they are making these decisions about, you know, is this interesting to me? Isn't, is it not? Is it something I want to participate in? It's really needs things to be very, very simple. Mm -hmm. So that means when you're setting up a competition, first of all, you would want to make it short term. So if you set something up and, you know, you say the the person who completes the most work uh, on time within the next year, right? <laughs> get such and such that's just too long right okay the unconscious mind goes what next year what the heck is that what is a year <laughs> right and and that's not going to be motivating so you want to keep the time frame relatively short uh and along with those ideas you want to keep the rules relatively simple like don't have 10 different factors about the competition keep it very very simple so simple and a short time frame is going to be the most motivating how about in terms of the responsibility of a manager with this idea of utilizing competition, or it could be any type of motivation, obviously, do you see that as being a, a big responsibility? And, and with that, should they be focusing on the individuals or the group as a whole? I mean, I, what, what's kind of the, the route here, you would say? Yeah, I think that, you know, the danger in, in setting this up, and, and actually the danger in setting up any uh, motivating situation in the workplace is that people tend to set up what they think will motivate them. Mm -hmm. And they use that to set it up for the, everyone else in the group. So it's like, well, I know what would really motivate me is this, and therefore I'm going to set this up and it'll be great, right? And, and not understanding that um, it is true that different things motivate different people at different times and in different situations. And so if you have a group of 10 people and you you set up some kind of plan to motivate them, uh, you know, may or may not work with all 10. And certainly you cannot assume that what motivates you motivates them. Mm -hmm. So I think you, you really need to understand, the more you understand your people and what is motivating for them, the better you can put together a plan that will work for this particular group of people facing this situation right now. It really is extremely situational. Sure. You know, a lot of these aspects we talk about, uh, again, we have to speak in generalities. We don't know everyone's situation. But the idea that competition necessarily isn't the best motivator, what then would you point to uh, in terms of different ways to, to get employees working well, working together, that sort of thing? Uh, you know, it's just better motivators in the workplace. What, what do you point to as, as being 
you know, what's more effective? Yeah, you know, this is the the topic of that book you mentioned, how to get people to do stuff. Mm-hmm. And I have seven different strategies. Uh, the ones that I I believe from the reading that I've done and from the the research I've read that are the most powerful are certainly not, you know, competition, as as I said before, isn't necessarily at the top of the list. So one of the things that's at the top of the list is the idea of mastery. Hmm. People are very motivated to master something, to become the master of something. Hmm. I mean, it's, it's one of the reasons why, for instance, video games can be so uh, powerful and almost addictive. And it's because I'm uh, you know, as you play, you become more and more a master of the game and you learn more and you get better at it. Right. And that's just one example. We love to master something. It, it's um, inherent in us, uh, keeps us uh, motivated, keeps our culture moving forward. So if you can use the idea of mastery, if you can, in, in, instead of telling, having someone uh, or a group uh, do something because you've said to do it. If you can phrase it in terms of uh, what I really would like you to do is become a master at this software. You know, we want everyone to use this particular software, and and I, we really believe that this group can master this and and become the learn as much as there is to learn about it, rather than just you know you need to use the software. So using mastery. To motivate people is very very powerful. Uh, another one is autonomy, uh, giving people independence about how they do their work. Mm-hmm. You may want them to do uh, certain things, but how they do it, letting that be up to them, can be extremely motivating as well. Um, so, and and the last one I would say that is extremely powerful is the sense of I call it the need to belong. So we are very social creatures. We want to work with other people. Uh, we want to be part of the group. Uh, we don't like it when we feel alone, when we feel exiled from the group. And so being part of a group and working together and achieving something together is e- extremely motivating. If people feel that, that by doing this, I'm going to be part of this group, that will actually... Uh, be very, very motivating. So those three things, mastery, autonomy, and being part of a group, I think are the probably the three that are at the top of my list. And that definitely seems to fit in with a lot of the things we end up talking with employers and, and different people in the in the business world. Um, you know, that idea of you know control, which obviously autonomy gives people that. And then, uh, you know, the needing to belong, the social aspect, it's, I've learned a lot of that in terms of talking with a lot of people, how, how big of a factor that really is. Because I didn't really never, I never really thought about that in terms of the workplace. But, um, you know, based on what you say and other things we've heard, that it all fits together. If we do jump back to the idea of competition a little bit, is this a strategy that's used more or less in the workplace than, say, 20 years ago? I mean, is there any any way to kind of gauge that or, or, or see where that's gone in the last couple decades? You know, I, I haven't seen any research on that. My sense from, you know, I've been, I've been working with companies uh, across that time span. I would say it, it hasn't changed much. Hmm. It's still used very strongly. It was used before and, and, and it still is now. And that's interesting to me because, again, it could be dependent upon industry, no doubt. When I was teaching, there was always this balance of 
having students not necessarily compete against one another, but work together, that collaboration aspect, to compete against other grades or other classes. So what's the balance there in terms of, you know, if we relate it to the workplace, you may have that internal competition, but then bringing people together to, you know, work against the the rival company or something to that effect. Is that an area where competition might actually be more effective as opposed to an internal competition? Yeah, that probably is more effective. And the reason is what you're doing when you do that, you actually are highlighting, I call it the tribe effect. Hmm. Uh, And so back to this idea that we want to belong, right? Mm -hmm. We want to be part of a group. Well, if if there's an outside threat, right, (laughs) which is another group, that actually bonds the tribe together even more strongly. So even though you think that it's competition that's driving that, it, it actually what competition is doing is making the need to belong to the group stronger. And it is that is that group uh, belonging effect that's having ha- having the, the true effect. When we talk about this, uh, you know, you, you talk about the group idea and, and motivating them in, in whatever way that may be. You did talk about, you know, the more you know about the people, the, the better you can motivate them. How much would you suggest, though, individualizing things? Because I would imagine, obviously, the more people that you're a manager over, it would get pretty difficult to really fine-tune that motivation for each person. So is there a balance there in trying to really find that what works for each person versus what might work as a whole with that team, so to speak? Yeah, I mean, if this is a practical issue, it, it really would be better, you know, in an ideal situation, which I don't think anyone can do, <laughs> right. or very few people can do, uh, you would design your uh, program around what motivates that particular individual in this particular situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so for someone, you know, right now, based on what it is you want them to do and what's going on with them for this person, you know, competition is the way to go. And for that person over there, uh, mastery is the way to go. Uh, there's even one we haven't talked about that I talk about in my book, which is um, the idea of self-personas, which is extremely important, but obviously very individualized. So right. I, I didn't bring it up before. But, you know, for a person C, uh, using self-personas is the way to go. So in it, if you want to maximize uh, your influence of how to get people to do stuff, you would individualize it now that's you know for most people most of the time that's not going to be a strategy they can do all the time because they have too many people too many differences they may not know some of the people really well Mm -hmm. that would be ideal so if you understand that that's the ideal you know then then you start to see what you're up against and certainly one of the things we know is is that inside of a company when you have situations where a particular individual is the manager for a lot of people, then we know that the uh, we're, we're not going to be able to motivate those people as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, the if you can break it break it down into smaller groups and the smaller groups have their own manager, then you're going to be more successful. And it's mainly because you're going to be able to fine tune your strategy to the particular individuals in in that group. So, you know, I would say anytime you get above 10 people, I mean, back to that number 10, mm-hmm. uh, you know, when you get above 10 people, then then your ability to, to motivate on an individual basis is obviously going to be compromised. Sure. So with all this stuff that we've discussed, the different aspects and whatnot, 
let's say you're speaking to a group of employers and different organizations. Um, what would be your general advice in terms of using competition as, as a motivator? Maybe some some tips on what would be essential that you have to, to factor in and maybe just the things that you really should avoid in, kind of in a, in a general sense, I guess. Here are the things that, that I would say. First of all, I would say uh, use competition sparingly. Mm-hmm. It works best when it is something different and unusual. If people are constantly competing and there's always a new competition, it's going to be too stressful and then the the motivational effect of any particular uh, competition you have going is going to go down. So you want to use it uh, sparingly. Uh, you want to use other forms of, of motivation like we talked about, like the collaboration, use of the tribe, mastery. You want to use them much more regularly and then just inject a little bit of competition. You want to inject the competition so that people believe they are competing against 10 people or less. <laughs> And I honestly, I would say if you have a, a mix of men and women, I probably wouldn't even use it. Really? <laughs> so okay. I, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I just, you know, from the research I've read, I would think it's probably not even worth it. Well, and that's, again, you know, we're, we're speaking so much in generalities, but the idea, of course, is to, to maximize that, that motivation for, for your group. So I think, hey, if, 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 you, if that's what you would do in that situation and that makes the most sense, you got to go with it, I think. Mm-hmm. And with that, we will bring Mining Your P's and Q's to its conclusion. And now you might have a slightly different perspective on the idea of competition in the workplace, depending on your individual situation. Our expert guest has been Susan Weinshank, PhD, an extremely experienced behavioral psychologist. Susan, where can people learn more about you and your work? If they come to my website, which is theteamw.com, they can find out all about us. Great. Well, thanks again for adding your experience and insight into the topic today. Thanks for having me, Tim. And of course, thank you to all the listeners as well. Please keep coming back to continue the learning process on mining your P's and Q's, part of localjobnetwork.com radio. If you have any comments or suggestions for the show, email us at ljnradio at localjobnetwork.com. Until we speak again, I'm your host, Tim Muma. Tim Muma.